Welcome to Leadership Bites with myself, your host, Guy Bloom. This is a leadership podcast where I have conversations with colleagues, I chat with guests, and sometimes they'll be just me talking. You can connect with me at livingbrave.com. And when you enjoy the episode, subscribe and please tell everyone. So listen, uh, Daniel, fantastic to have you on this episode of Leadership Bites. Absolute pleasure to have you here. Oh, it's really a pleasure to be with you. So I have done a little introduction on the audio podcast, but on the video uh, cast, I don't do an introduction. So for those people that don't know, it'd be just great to hear the, well, listen, if you don't know who I am, this is who I am, and this is what I do. Yeah, well, thank you. Actually, uh, uh, very quickly, I started out teaching biology and physics, so uh, obviously I didn't have any money. And uh, but I was a research guy, and uh, that that passion kind of is a thread that weaves through my life. And uh, I ended up uh, teaching for a number of years. Then I started uh, six different companies that did very well in the U.S. Uh, uh, five were profitable in the first year, for example. Four were national leaders in the first year. But I knew why I was put on the planet. See, I think the two most important moments in a person's life is the day you're born and the day you find out why you're born. And I'm very lucky I found out why I was born, and that is I was born to teach. So instead of on this podcast just telling you I can't help myself, I'd like to teach people uh, and and give them some principles. So 37 years ago, I did a, a research on the latest innovations in technology, came up with a methodology of how to separate the things that will happen from the things that might happen. Uh, I've written seven books that have been bestsellers, thousands of articles actually, given over 3,000 speeches about it. And here I am helping people to look at how you can be an anticipatory leader versus a reactionary leader. Hmm. Okay. And, and that's that I think leads us um, into... I, I was actually practicing saying anticipatory uh, when you... Uh, I know it is one of those words. <laughs> because in my brain, I knew I'm how to sorry, say it. I couldn't come up with a better one, but it seemed to fit. I really tried, though, I tell you. Because <laughs> I was going, I'm going to lose all credibility if I can't say this right. <laughs> so I was trying to I, I had a little practice. But um, the, the book, The Anticipatory uh, Organization, um, is that that's your newest uh, sort of um, offering into the world. And I, and I guess it leads me to some questions and that focus of um, organizations that are trying to get ahead. Um, and I suppose, why would an individual read the book? What do they, what do you, who do you want to read it? And what do you want them to walk away with when they've taken it on board? Well, a couple of things. Uh, number one is that, Think of strategy, whether it's personal or business, as a two-sided coin. And I think we're really good at one side of the coin. And that is being agile. And agility, if you think about it, is reacting as fast as you can to a problem after it occurs. Reacting as fast as you can to a disruption after it disrupts. But as uh, the world has learned with the pandemic, you can't react fast enough. Things just keep coming at you. And there's black swans that you think come out of nowhere. Actually, they don't, but they seem to. And you and the feeling is, why plan for the future? No one can predict the future. And I do want people to lead with agility. The better you are, the more agile you are, the better. But that's assuming you can't predict anything. The other side of the coin is how to be anticipatory, how to anticipate problems 
before you have them. She can pre-sell them. And let's face it, how many times have people said, I knew that was going to happen? And I'd say, so why did you let it? And then anticipate disruptions before they disrupt. And for those that have read or listened to any of my work before, you'd know that every disruption that's happened was there to see and fully predictable. Um, it's just you need a way to do it. So I've come up with a science uh, to find certainty in an uncertain world. You see, you see, the world seems to be so uncertain. And strategy, whether it's personal or business, based on uncertainty, has high risk. And if you're a leader and you're trying to get people to make bold moves and you're giving them your opinion, what are they going to want? Another opinion. But if you learn how to speak in future facts, in future truths that are perceived and known to be true the minute you hear them, you have the confidence to make bold moves. So being an anticipatory leader is vital in this new world of amazing, disruptive uncertainty, to find certainty. So I'm saying you need both. And I think one side of the coin, I think it got down. I'm here to give you the other side of the coin. Hmm. So what I, what I think I hear in, in there is an individual can take this on board, a, a team can take this on board, but there has to be an overarching, call it permission or um, safety to offer that idea. Because I, I might see that trend and I might be that truth bringer, but if it's not going to be heard, then you know, it, 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 I may not, or I may lose the bravery and I may, others may see. So what, what's, what's your, how much of this work is around you having the mindset is one thing, but the organization's willingness to, to hear it is another. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, that, and you've nailed one of the biggest problems. So let me talk about trends and two key elements I would like to teach today. Uh, first thing is that uh, a trend by itself is boring. It's academic. Now look, I've been doing this for 37 years and I'm telling you that, what, what is the difference? Well, if a trend has an actionable strategy attached to it, it bursts into life. So if anyone from this moment on is talking about a trend and you don't say, and by the way, here's the opportunity, you are just talking something academic. So that's number one, we'll park that over here because the big one that I want to give you, and it's part of the science that I've developed and have been teaching, and that is all trends fit into one of two categories. They're either a hard trend based on a future fact that will happen. And no matter who you are, how much money you've got, you cannot stop it. The good news is you can see it coming. I'll give you some ideas and examples in a minute. You can see it coming before it happens. When you can see a disruption before it disrupts, you now have a choice to be either the disruptor or the disrupted. By the way, there's no in-between. Some people are coasting, but let's face it, you can only coast downhill and there is a bottom. So, uh, so you've said, you said that before, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> there, yeah, I did. There is hard trends, all right? So all trends are either hard trends based on future facts that will happen, and therefore let you see problems before you have them, so you can pre-solve them, let you see disruptions before they disrupt, so you have a choice to be the disruptor or the disrupted, and it gives you certainty because it's gonna happen. And by the way, when it comes to strategy, if you don't do it, someone else will, because it's gonna happen anyway. The other kind of trend is a soft trend. And a soft trend is based on an assumption about the future that may or may not happen. Now it's important. It doesn't mean that it won't happen. But it's not a future fact, which changes risk. 
Now I'm getting to your, your question, Guy, and that is, how do you have the confidence as a leader to even bring this up? How can you get people to embrace it? And the answer is you have to reduce their risk because if the risk of embracing it is high because the uncertainty is high, I'm not going to embrace it. When you take away the risk and help me to see the big risk is not embracing it because if we don't do it, our competitors will, it's going to happen. Then all of a sudden you flip things around and you can get people to move forward. Let me give you a couple of quick examples. Uh, let's take soft friends for, a uh, for just a minute. Uh, in the United States, uh, there has been a trend that's been going on for a couple of decades. That is, healthcare costs have been going up, 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 up. They haven't been going down, they've been going up dramatically. And that is a trend, all right? Now, is that a hard trend or a soft trend? The answer is, oh, it's a soft trend. But most people see it as a hard trend, which means if it's unstoppable, it's really a future fact, then all we can do is do healthcare reform around how are we going to pay for the mess as the baby boomers get older and need more care. But if you realize, oh, that's a soft trend. And the beauty of a soft trend, guy, is if you don't like it, you can change it. See, that's the strategy of a soft trend. If you don't like it, you can change it. So, for example, we could use, in this country, we could use blockchain. And blockchain creates transparency, it creates trust, it's highly secure. And right now in a healthcare system that has no transparency, if you knew the aspirin in the hospital cost $25, you would have your spouse bring it. But you didn't know that. If you knew that artificial knee varied in price by 200% made by the same manufacturer in the same size they're putting in your leg, you would say, wait a minute, what's going on? So, and I'm just giving you a quick example of blockchain. I could give you countless examples of how we could change that. So that's just one, but soft friends, let's say right now you're a restaurant and sales are terrible because of the coronavirus. And it looks like you're gonna go out of business. Is that a hard trend or a soft trend? By the way, soft trend. That's, that's your problem. You aren't doing something about it. If instead, let's say you're a high-end place that can't get people coming in and uh, the weather's starting to turn in your area, if you live in this hemisphere, the Northern hemisphere, uh, what are you gonna do? And that is, I would wanna have a home delivery system that matches the brand of the high-end experience that you come in. Because some have done that, but they've delivered in paper bags. In other words, here's this wonderful meal, but they haven't carried their brand promise through to the end. I would have the brand promise going through the end. And when the, when the pandemic lifts, you guess what? I've got two business models instead of one. I don't have to rely on just people coming in. Actually, I'll be better off. Now, I, uh, by the way, I've given that advice to a number of high-end restaurants that were closed down. They opened doing that. They're doing fantastic. They're actually setting some records. They've expanded their market and they haven't even opened their physical place yet. My point is, soft trends, don't like them? Good, I like that, you can change them. That's the strategy to a soft trend. Hard trends, that gives you opportunity to see it coming and I gotta give you some examples and then I'll let you ask, ask me some questions, all right? Because we gotta nail the concept. So, hard trends, it's not that hard. There's only three questions, there are three uh, categories of hard trends, that's it. One of them is demographics. For example, uh, and again, in the United States, we uh, the number that's popped around is there's 78 million baby boomers. Actually, there's 68 million, 10 million have already passed away. They're on the back end, out of the front end of being young right now. And uh, they are not going to get younger, they're gonna get older. I can all of a sudden get young again. Uh, so what does that mean? 
Well, we can predict a lot of problems and either pre-solve them or not. We can, we can see all sorts of opportunities and mine them or not, all right? So, uh, for example, as somebody gets older, what's one of the biggest problems? By the way, I'm going to give you something that doesn't exist right now as an example of how to innovate, how to be a leader, how to innovate with low risk. Right now, this is not a product. Nobody's talked about this. Scoop for this show. And that is, let's say uh, people falling when they get old, they break their hips. And the hips and pneumonia, and now the coronavirus are the three biggest cause of death when people get older. But you can actually, the latest 4K camera can be the size of a fly's eye. Why can't I put some cameras on a little thing that goes around your shoe? And it is looking at what's ahead. By the way, that's a step, that's a bump. And that's going to your little Bluetooth thing that says, uh, because people can't see good as they're getting older. That's why they trip, that's why they fall. They, they don't see that stuff. Now I'm giving you a quick example of how you could make a smart shoe you don't even need a shoe, just the part on the outside that could help people know what's ahead before it happens. Now, again, that's just a quick opportunity. By the way, is something like that going to happen? The answer is, yeah. You know why? If it can be done, it will be done. There's an amazing opportunity out there. So I said there were three categories. Number one, demographics. And by the way, when we look at Gen Z and Gen Y and the young people, we have to realize, guess what? They're aging. They're going through different phases of life. They don't stay that age forever. And those stages have predictable needs that change. So as they go through those stages, we could actually have, if I'm a bank or a financial institution, little triggers that let me know, hey, they're in another phase now. There's some new opportunities for me. Instead of thinking they're always young with that same mindset. All right, I said there were three. Number two, this will shock everybody, government regulation. Yeah, I did say that. Government regulation, huge. Uh, Elon Musk, <clears throat> he uh, has every business he started, he funded it with government regulation. Um, and if, a matter of fact, I think I've added it up, uh, he's received, I think, $1.4 billion to start businesses so far from the government. Why? Because he's using regulation to his advantage. So what we do is when we hear a new regulation, and they aren't just in the U.S., every country has regulations. When there is a new regulation, everybody looks at what they don't like about it, and the list is endless. But one of the principles I teach in my anticipatory leader learning system is opposites work better. So instead of starting with what you don't like, take a look at what you do like, and you'll find amazing opportunities. By the way, can you predict all government regulations? No, but you can predict more than enough. See, you can't predict everything. But lists of things I'm uncertain about don't empower me. Lists of things I am certain about do. So instead of looking at the big list of things I don't know, I like to create a list of things I do know. Let me give you an example with regulation. Well, we have more regulation, regardless of what country you're in, on cybersecurity. Yeah, why? There's some hard trends at play that government can't ignore. But there are some other things we could debate and may or may not happen. Again. I like to know what I am, can be certain about and develop opportunities around those. Third category, last category, and then I'll let you get in a couple of words here, and that is technology. And technology has redefined reality over and over again. Matter of fact, today we're doing things that were impossible two years ago. We're gonna be doing things that are impossible two years from now that are impossible today. And it's amazingly 
predictable. Um, for example, are we going to be putting more in the cloud or is the cloud getting full? Uh, no, we're going to be putting more in the cloud. Um, after 5G, is that it? No, that's going to be 6G followed by 7G, guaranteed. Uh, there's amazing predictability. And when you know when something's going to happen and there's even a way to see timeframes, uh, you've got some great advantages. And one little comment I'll make, the pandemic. Let's talk about that. When we were around the world forced to change, and that's the key here, why? Humans don't like to change. And businesses are run by humans that don't like to change. We don't change until we have to. We were all forced to change. We were all forced to go digital. And that created a unprecedented, beyond exponential acceleration of technology trends I've been following for decades. For example, easy one, e-commerce. Accelerated 10 years in just a matter of months. Makes sense. We were all locked down. What are we going to do? We're going to buy online. Um, telehealth, teleeducation, working remotely. We could all work remotely before, but we didn't have to. The office was a place to house people and employees. Now, it's not a place to house. We found we can be quite effective not at the office. By the way, does that mean we're not going back to the office and everybody that's invested in office buildings are going to be in trouble? No, another principle I teach is the both and principle instead of the either this or either that which means instead of going all back to the office to house people again, like we did in the past, we're going to redesign our offices to maximize innovation, collaboration, communication, and all the things that we need to be in an office for. Otherwise, why are we in the office? It's going to be both, but we're gonna think it through more strategically. So boiling it all down, I've got over 16 trends that have been accelerated between five and 10 years all of them, and when you have massive technology acceleration, massive, you have massive new opportunities. And my worry is, as leaders, you know what you're all doing? You're coasting. You know what you're doing? You're crisis managing. You're not looking at the future because it's so unpredictable. When will this virus end? You're asking the wrong question. What are the amazing new opportunities and the ability for me to transform, not just change, transform my business model so that instead of getting back to the way it was, which frankly wasn't that great anyway, hey, it wasn't that great anyway, I can transform into what is far better than what I had in the past. Now is the time to be strategic. Now is the time to be anticipatory. Sorry, I gave you such a long answer, but it was you asked. I'm sorry. I, I did. Mental note to self. <laughs> no, so, be careful about what you ask for. You may get all, it. <laughs> you're very lucky that I don't live local because I just come and camp outside your house and ask you questions. So that's the first thing. <laughs> so thank you for that. I think what I, um, and, and, you know, course correct me. You know, one of the things that I talk about is trust, accountability, bravery, and connection when I'm dealing with senior teams. And when it comes wait, to bravery- Wait, wait, say that again. Those trust. are so important. Well, I don't, and everybody that's on this podcast has heard it many times, but sure. you know what? I'm, I haven't heard it before from you, and I'm okay. telling you those are really important. Slow down, say them yeah. again. So in, 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 I talk about and in the-, in the I know, world. I know, but yeah. I, I want so to get- It's trust. Up. So it's trust. I have to trust you, you have to trust me, we have to be trustworthy. There is a narrative that goes around trust 
that says I may interact with you transactionally because I've got to, but if I trust you, then I will contribute outside of my own need to support you. So I talk about trust. Absolutely. And just uh, back in 1988, one of the quotes of me in 88 was, trust is the glue that holds the knowledge economy together. In other words, when you don't have trust, all of a sudden this knowledge economy falls apart. So right on target. Okay, what's the other one? Well, accountability to a greater or lesser degree is what you'd expect it to be, that above or below the line behavior. But understanding that accountability doesn't always mean success. It means that succeed or fail, I inherently trust your willingness to operate from a place of accountability, which means as a product or a service or as an individual, my the story around me can remain intact even when I fail. Think about customer service, for example. It may go wrong, but if you take accountability and I feel you're trying, then if you're fundamentally incompetent over a period of time, our relationship may come to an end. But in the short term, I can actually remain an advocate even in failure if I feel you're being accountable. So I I find that very powerful. Well, and failure, uh, you know, one of the things to tie into that just a second, and it's another principle that I teach is uh, in starting my businesses, again, I started out as a teacher, right? I had to learn, do what? I had to learn how to fail fast. So what I did is I developed fail fast metrics because most of us don't know we're failing in for years. And I would like to know a lot sooner, but here's the key of failure. What do you learn from the failure? And are you sharing what you learned with others? Because others are about to do the same failure you've already done unless we share it. So no, I, I know you get into all of this stuff. I sure. am just kind of reinforcing that. No, I love that. Not, that's why I wanted you to repeat them. They're all big. Well, I, I've been a lifelong martial artist. And one of the things that you learn very, oh, very me. quickly is that <laughs> learning to fail fast, having very, very quick feedback mechanisms, and having a group of people around you where failure isn't vulnerability. Because actually, the best martial artists are the ones that go in with the intent of learning from their failure <laughs> to get better. But they, but when you're in the ring, of course, the feedback mechanism is, is incredibly quick. I just got punched in the face three times. That's not working. <laughs> you know? exactly. So you learn very, very quickly. But that methodology is a mindset that is inherent in that space. So I'm going to guess this for you, and that is in martial arts, there is two sides to the coin, and you've got to be very agile, but you also need to anticipate that punch. So there's an end, right? So well, I like, this is why I like the hard and soft trends. There are certain things that actually you can influence, and there are certain things that you cannot. Exactly. Are you going to... One of the things I talk from that soft trend description is, and I'm oversimplifying it for guys' world because I only heard it three minutes ago, Right. is with a soft trend, you shift. Right. And in the ring, you may say, well, actually, the way that this is going and I've got to shift, I've got to adapt. But there are certain hard trends, which is he's not going to get any smaller <laughs> you know? right. or, or he's not going to suddenly become less competent or. And if I find that I've walked into a space where ah. I thought it would be more of an equal mix, but holy moly, this individual must have been working on his kicking because he's just he's just put three in my head. That isn't going to change in the short term. So I've got to do, I've got to change, I've got to change. Well, so what you just pointed out are the two big differences between hard and soft using the other terms I attach to them. One is, is it a future fact or is it an assumption? So if you make assumptions about your opponent, based on their past, still isn't the future fact, is it? 
Absolutely. because they might have changed. Yes. They may have, so, they may have so, done a lot of work so in the interim. Assumptions yeah. are a huge science that, uh, yeah. again, I think is important to understand. What are uh, the other ones? You had a couple more, I think, one or two more. Well, the, the, the two more then is bravery and connection. But when I was latching on to when I was hearing you talk was I had this sense that when I talk about bravery, which is to say that constantly there are elements of nervousness, anxiety, doubts, fears that individuals and teams can suffer from. But actually, the way of, I believe, reacting isn't with this idea of just constantly being brave by moving forward, but actually the bravery is in the willingness to become competent. Because when I look at things like emergency services and the fire departments, for example, well, they're running into the building everybody else is running out of. They are per se inherently fearful as human beings, but their bravery isn't necessarily in running into the building. Their bravery is in their willingness to constantly learn, to take feedback, even if it means that they're wrong, to... And, and I thought what I heard in what you were saying was organizations need to not, yeah, sometimes you've got to do what I call put your big pants on and, and go forward. But it's about that competence with this, these, these unknowns. It's about that going, we can become very competent in a space which is constantly shifting if we're taking on board this thinking <laughs> and we don't, we, we can, sometimes we'll just have to put our big pants on and do something brave, but let's reduce that and increase our competence in this space. That's probably the bravery, changing the way we think now, readapting again on a constant basis. And, and I think that's what I heard, if, if, I, if I'm exactly. wrong. And so, again, using uh, your example, going into that burning building, uh, if I have no competency, I'm new and I haven't been trained, it's a hellhole and I don't know if I want to go in there. Uh, if I'm merely agile, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in and with the idea that I'm going to respond to flare-ups, which, by the way, I want you to do. But on the second hand, if I also am anticipatory and I've learned about how fires spread and how they move and what can happen, I can anticipate what's going to happen. So yes. I want to be both. I need both sides of the coin. And you asked, so I, I like where you're going on this. And what was that last one? And the last one is connection. And I don't just mean eye contact and the willingness to put your mobile phone down. I talk about that, which is relevant, but it's that contribution outside of your own need, which is if we all just play our own game, then I'm not going to feed into your, your blind spots. I'm not going to get mine fed into. We're not going to offer outside of our own space. So call it enterprise leadership. That's a, a bit superficial, I think. But I think it's a cultural imperative that you're not just here to serve your own resource and your own span of control you're here and you will be judged by your willingness to contribute. Now, if that means I have a blind spot and I'm more senior to you and I'm not willing to accept it, then actually how brave will you be? How accountable will you be? Can I trust that you will hold space on an unpopular idea? Do you have the competence in your vocabulary and the learning from Daniel <laughs> that I can offer that into the room <laughs> because I've read the damn books and I've been on the courses or whatever they are, but, it's that willingness to contribute outside of your own need, not just in a kibbutz-like way, let's all help each other, but in the sticky moments and face into that. And I, and I, and I think that, that feels as if I'm hearing that in what you're saying. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and again, uh, that's where I think those hard trends, future facts uh, are so helpful Very for much leaders so. because yeah. what they do is, again, it gives them confidence, but more importantly, you can use it to give others confidence. 
Yes. And when you and when you elevate someone's confidence, you they then they are willing to make bold moves. It also works with sales. I mean, first first of all, there's nothing better than a few uh, confused customer. So high levels of uncertainty on their part, that's good. But when you're finished and you're ready to ask for the sale, if uh, they're uncertain, it's going to be hard. They're going to, you know, it's hard to get the sale. If they have a high level of certainty, they're going to write a big check. So certainty is amazingly powerful closing tool. Uncertainty is a good way to open the door to the sale. So I'm going to just budge us into a little bit of new territory because the the, the topics are vast and uh, etc. Oh yeah, I've got, yeah, I've got yeah. two. Uh, years, they were they were too good to ignore. And uh, in our pre podcast talk, I discovered uh, your brilliance, and I wanted to bring that into this as well. I think that, that's incredibly gracious. But uh, so one of the things I'm fascinated by is AI and this idea of, you know, we, we have driverless cars on the horizon. We have AI, Google AI, booking hair appointments. And, you know, there is an element of people and myself to a greater or lesser degree that will go, listen, the moment that AI can answer the phone to the point where you don't know it and that machine can flip that burger to the point where they don't need you, then there's a difference between maybe the safety of intellect where it can always shift and adjust, but for a population, and I don't mean in the terms of lack of intellect, but in the terms of their demographic and where they are, then what is that reality of AI if we fast forward to a position that might be around the ethics? You know, if I've got a bottom line, it makes us more profitable, I do it. But I often talk about, forget corporate social responsibility, social responsibility, there's a potential dystopian future on the horizon <laughs> for a lot of people. And I just would like to get your kind of thoughts on don't worry, or yeah, we might need to be aware of that. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, exactly. Well, one of the reasons I'm an advisor to the uh, Department of Defense and to uh, Lockheed Martin and Raytheon and other defense contractors on AI and cyber is, uh, you know, I want to be able to predict future problems and pre-solve them. I don't want a uh, Terminator future and neither do you. Well, some of those Lockheed uh, videos of some of the machines that they've got uh, exactly, does make exactly. you go, that may be a dog, but stick a couple of guns on it and that thing's a bit worrying. <laughs> you know? oh, absolutely, absolutely. So to answer your question, yeah. uh, one of the uh, trends that I have highlighted in my, uh, matter of fact, if you went to burris.com, you could find them, you don't have to buy them, um, is called, is, uh, looking at what I call, again, think the both end concept. And uh, so let's take oncology. I'll teach it to you with a, with a story. Right now, IBM's Watson, which is a uh, AI system, knows more about oncology than any living oncologist because it's learned from all of this stuff. So it knows more than any, any human. So let's say that you know someone that has cancer, heaven forbid, and they need an oncologist. I'm gonna give you three choices. Number one, you got Watson. Number two choice is you've got one of the best oncologists on the planet. Number three is you have one of the best oncologists that has access to Watson. So what I'm calling is that is the future. And that is uh, we're going to have, uh, uh, I'll get back to autonomous vehicles, but in this case, it's like a symbiotic relationship. In biology, symbiosis is where two different creatures need so each other to coexist. There's so we're going to be working. So in, in yeah. the reality, we're yeah. going to be getting all the benefit of what no human can keep in their head given to us. But still, we there's something called the cognitive domain. 
And AI is at the low end right now, and it's working its way up. But if you look at the higher ends where humans are at their best, that AI is trouble. For example, AI has trouble with empathy. I really care about what you're saying right now. Well, um, it can say that in my voice, but does it care? Uh, it's not as good at uh, communicating, collaborating, innovating. It can do levels of that. So there's an old saying, uh, you can't teach an old dog new tricks. The good news is we're not dogs. We can lose, learn some new tricks. So here's an insight. There's an art and science to every profession. There's an art and science to every profession. Uh, if it was just a science, let's take a medical doctor. They all went to college. They all got good grades, hopefully. They all got their degree. If it's all a matter of science, it doesn't matter who your doctor is. They all did well, but it does matter. Why? It's the art part. It's the other part, that part that humans do best. So in college, and this relates to an earlier question, in college, what happens is you learn the science and you learn the art when you're out and there are better artists than others. Uh, in this case, we're gonna get a flip taking place because AI is gonna get much better at the science and give it to you in your ear and in your glasses. And what is, how are, how are humans going to beat AI? And that is with the art part. And as a matter of fact, I'm just about to publish a uh, blog, which is not gonna be on my website, about those competencies and what is that art part. We need to be, get better at that. And by the way, I think we're gonna do more of that in the universities to prepare us so that we can more quickly profit from all these changes. And by the way, AI isn't as good as doing your plumbing and it isn't good at installing in 7G. Robots will help, but you know what? Us humans still have a need and a, and a, a place to be. At the moment. <laughs> yeah. so, but what I have heard that think of, is... Think of it, Guy, as augmented thinking. But we will adapt. So I need augmentation yeah. to my thinking, and AI is going to give me the augmented thinking. Yeah, and what I've heard there is we will adapt. We will do new things. And as AI rises to do more things that might be, well, how would I earn a living? Well, that's okay, because you'll be doing something else. And we don't know what that is because that's a future as yet unknown. But if that if that there's that's not a future fact, that's an assumption. That's a soft trend. Yeah, we'll all be doing something else to earn a living. Now, you may not, but that's soft. How can you affect that? Because I want to have a positive future, not a negative one. I have to be willing to learn something new. So if we're not willing to learn something new, you'll ride that uh, that assumption of uh, you'll you'll earn a living somehow. You may not, yes. but if you're willing to learn something new, you can change that soft trend that looks really dystopian yeah. into something good and actually positive for you and your family. So my point is we can either sit back and let the future be shaped by somebody and something else, and you may not like that future. Mm. Uh, what I'm really all about and uh, in my life is getting people to not just be anticipatory, but to actively shape a positive future rather than passively receive it because you may not like what you're receiving. Yeah, I, I totally buy into that. I could, I could talk about the submissive nature of relationships, I think. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll step away from that for now. But so the last thing I want to bring to the table, just to respect your time, because uh, otherwise 
you know, it could be uh, three o'clock, three days from now, and you'll say, "Guy, I've really got to go now," and uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll break a possibly great relationship. Is we spoke just pre me pressing the record button on this idea of followers and influencers, and I was, you know, uh, you know, you were you were sort of talking about how many followers you have on certain platforms, and we were just talking about that difference and a great answer that you you'd. Uh, you come up with as a reflex to being asked, what's the difference between influence and as and followers? And I think in this whole social media age, that's a that's a great question, and I'm interested to see what that might mean in the in the leadership context. So, uh, yeah, yeah. what's the difference between influencers and followers, Daniel? Yeah, well, uh, again, that question was posed to me really just recently, and that's what I mentioned to you. And because again, just on LinkedIn, you know, I've got 1.25 million followers. So they said, and, and I've got other big followings too, and a couple million blog readers. So they said, all right, so what's the difference? Because you're thought of as an influencer, you have followers, are they the same thing? And I said, no, they're not. Think of it this way, <clears throat> and this comes to leadership. Um, I was giving a commencement speech, and uh, in that commencement speech, I started out by freaking out all the parents, because there were thousands of people getting various degrees. And I said, I don't want you to focus on living a life of success. And I'm sure they all are going, oh, God. Uh, <laughs> but, but what I said was, success is all about you. Success is about how many degrees you end up with, how big your house is, how cool your car is, how much money you make. Success is all about you. Instead, I would like you to live a life of significance, because significance is about what you do for others. And when you elevate your significance personally, when you elevate your significance professionally, when you elevate your company from being a successful company to being a significant company, you'll find success will follow. So instead of success being the goal, I want you to make significance your goal. So what is the difference between the followers and influencers? Well, influencers tend to be focusing on helping others. Followers are looking at how many followers do I have? In other words, it's my success is measured by my number of followers. I would say that doesn't cut it at all in my world. What are you doing for those followers? How are you helping those followers in their lives, in their world, and what they try to do? That is going to be the true measure. And by the way, this whole thing is about leadership. I just gave you a giant leadership principle right there. And I think that ties into my connection and that willingness to contribute outside. Absolutely. Uh, that, uh, that's see exactly that what I was thinking when you mentioned that. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Okay, well, listen, uh, I want to go on and on and on, on, but I'm not going to. <laughs> because, I, I, again, I think these, these things have a, have a natural cycle for people to listen to. Um, for me, um, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time on a schedule which um you know when i hear other people's schedules and the work that they generate out i suddenly have a recognition that i need to stop watching as much television as i do and, <laughs> and, and do something more valuable to the world but uh, but listen i think it's been it's great to hear i think it's personally when i do this i don't have pre-conversations with people that come on the episodes because i want to listen and hear it for the first time and what this has done it doesn't always do so it's triggered me to want to take interest not so much in you but in in that work and the way that you think and so and i think that's important and i think that's indicative as feedback to you about the impact that you're having, which is it's triggered a desire in me to find out more. So I think that's uh, hopefully that's um, a recognition of that from me to you. And I think that'll be the same for other people as well. So from me to you, thank you very much.
Yeah, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on. That's it. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Please share so others get to hear about us and subscribe so you keep up to date on new episodes. Also visit livingbrave.com if you want to connect with me and find out more about executive coaching, team effectiveness and changing culture. Oh, and of course you can buy my book Living Brave Leadership on Amazon. So on that note, see you soon.